This week, I had the opportunity to interview Michael Beck, who is the author of Eliciting Excellence. And it was a fascinating interview because he serves a niche. He helps business owners transition to successors. So in other words, he coaches the successors so that there is a seamless transition between ownership and the next leader of the organization. So please enjoy my fascinating conversation with Michael Beck. Today, 80% of businesses don't sell. To be a part of the 20% that do, and at maximum value, you'll need a successful strategy. Welcome to the Defenders of Business Value podcast, where we interview today's top professional advisors who help business owners create, preserve, and most importantly, transfer value. If you want actionable tips that will increase your business value, stay tuned. The podcast starts now. I'm your host, Ed Meisigland. I teach business owners how to identify and remove risks in their business that scares buyers and reduces value so that, that one day they can sell their business at maximum value when they want, how they want, and to whom they want. On today's show, I'm delighted to welcome Michael Beck of Eliciting Excellence. I was introduced to him at, uh, at an industry conference where his tagline, Helping Successors Succeed and Owners Get Paid, and that caught my attention, and I just knew that we had to have him on. So Michael's an executive coach, a business strategist, an author, and president of Eliciting Excellence, a firm specializing in the assessment and development of leaders. He works with leaders to improve their interpersonal skills, sharpen strategic thinking, and enhance judgment. His work helps maximize the value of the sale and increase the likelihood of, of a deal actually closing by strengthening the effectiveness of the leadership team. He offers the leadership he offers leadership assessments executive coaching, all designed to help successors succeed and owners get paid. So, Michael, welcome to the show. Ed, thanks so much for having me. I, I've been looking forward to this because uh, I love the work that you're doing, and uh, I, I'm passionate about the work that I do. Thank you. And where to even begin? I'm In the pre-show, we started to talk a little bit about your practice. Can you? I gave a, a high-level overview of of eliciting excellence. Can you uh, go a little bit deeper on on how you're helping your clients? So, yeah, I would love to uh, because there are a couple of interesting aspects to it. First off, many years ago, uh, I reflected on the idea that everyone talks about the importance of leadership and how you improve leadership, but I actually never read why better leadership makes a difference. And as I reflected on it, it occurred to me that exceptional leadership elicits excellence. That's why it makes a difference in the results people get, which is where the, the company name Eliciting Excellence and, and the name of my book both come from. Unlike many other coaches that I've known, because I've been doing executive coaching for about 20 years now, uh, bef before that, prior to that, I actually held executive roles in uh, a variety of industries, both here and overseas. And I think that adds to um, the value that I bring to the table and, and my, my uh, virtual team of coaches bring to the table. And in addition, for many years, uh, owned a business. It was in a partnership. And so not only do I uh, bring to the table the executive experience, but the challenges of being an owner. And so uh, to your point, um, you know, having, like, for instance, a successor or uh, structuring an ESOP, anything where 
somebody who used to be an employee is going to end up as an owner, there's an interesting shift that needs to take place, and uh, I can help them do that. I guess what what is the avatar of the typical client that you that you're working with? Well, that, well, that's a good question, and uh, it it sort of depends on the nature of the transition that we're talking about. So, if it's an internal sale or transition to a successor, single, whether it's a family member or a key executive, <clears throat> what uh, what I'm doing is objectively assessing that person. To begin with, because <clears throat> truthfully, two things. One is that um, it, we're notoriously poor at self-assessment. And then number two, um, it, it, in some ways, it almost doesn't matter what the owner thinks of the successor. It kind of matters more what everyone else around them thinks. That's interesting. And so doing a really nice 360 assessment gives us an objective view of things. Not, not that the owner's uh, opinion is relevant. But it's not the only thing that matters. And, and as you know, especially with, with a family member, there's all this other baggage that comes along. And often, for instance, parents don't think their children are quite up to it, yet everyone around them may feel otherwise. So, so that's one case. And then, of course, with key executive that's going to buy it, uh, it it's kind of still similar. One of the challenges is, whether, regardless of whether it's a family member or a key executive, uh, it's nearly impossible for an owner to properly develop their own successor. And I've written about this, and, and there are all kinds of interesting dynamics that prevent that from happening. On an external sale, I'm generally not working with an individual, but, but the key members of the leadership team. And uh, it's essential that that leadership team be as strong and capable as possible for an external sale to succeed. Circling back to to the family members, I mean, one one of the the statistics that I had seen that for the first time in history, it actually the the number of transitions going from mom and dad to the kid actually has decreased. They would rather go third party than than keep it as an internal sale. Uh, are you seeing the same thing with you with your practice? No. Uh, actually, I'm not. Um, I, I've, I have a number of clients, and they specifically do not want to sell to an outside party. They and they don't have a family member either, but they like the idea of uh, you know c- keeping it in the in the community, bringing on and and nurturing and developing somebody who will share the same values that they have, and because that's their legacy, how they built their company, and so. I've seen that actually, but they prefer to keep it in. So, how long is the grooming process then? Ah, that's the key, isn't it? Yeah. This is a, a an interesting two part answer, by the way. So, the the simple answer is, you know, if they're fairly capable already, they know the mechanics of the business. See, we don't help them with the mechanics. The owner is the expert in that. So, I'll help them with leadership and ownership and strategic thinking. And so, if if they're uh, if they're groomable, if they're really um, potentially a good prospect for taking over the business, I can accomplish that in uh, about a year or so, six months to a year. Here's the other part of that question. I had a client a number of years ago who uh, she and her husband were getting thinking about retiring. They weren't getting ready. They were thinking about retiring. And so they were planning ahead, which was smart. They have or had a sizable company 
I mean, I, I ended up helping them land a hundred million dollar contract, multi-year contract. So you can you can imagine the size of the company was in the at least the tens of millions. So they brought on a COO to help groom to eventually take over, and they work out a deal for that that person to buy it. And after he was on board for a period of time, they asked me to start what I do with him. And and so I, I began working with the guy. And uh, after three, four, five months of, I mean, working with him, he wasn't, didn't seem a, a perfect fit, but he wasn't terrible, but he, he was okay. He quit. They hired another guy, a COO, brought him on, started making sure he understood the business, brought me in to help with the leadership and strategic thinking. I worked with him. He had some interesting perspectives and really what I'm in the business of is changing people's perspectives. And so he was misguided, but he did actually finally come around, which was great. And you know what happened as he did that? He quit. They brought on a third guy. Don't ask me why they didn't ask for my help. They felt between the husband and the wife, they knew what they were doing. Brought on a third guy as COO. Seemed to have good credentials. They brought him in. We, uh, he, he sort of he got ingrained in the business for a number of months. And then they brought me in to do uh, an assessment and help finish grooming the guy. Well, his assessment results were the worst I have ever seen. And after I debriefed it with him, and he digested it over the weekend, the next week we talked, I said, so what do you think? He says, well, I'm okay with it. Excuse me? Yeah, I'm okay with it. I think that they just uh, don't don't quite know me well enough yet, and they'll come around. So we, we worked a little bit longer, but frankly, he was uncoachable. He, he wasn't interested in changing. Well, what happened was that things got so bad they couldn't even believe the stories they were hearing. And they called me in. This is, they were in another state. They flew me in to interview people face-to-face -to, -face to see if the stories were true. And they were. And so they ended up firing him. The moral of the story, or the point of the story is, three and a half years later, they still didn't have a successor. So to your point, how long does it take? Kind of depends, doesn't it? Yeah, but I guess in that story, I mean, how detached was the business owners from the hiring process? I mean, they, no, they were they were it. I mean, they, they were active owners. They were not passive at all. And so each each one of the candidates was just a train wreck once they started down the path. Yes, they just didn't really have a good a, a good sense for what they needed. And I think this is this is often an issue. Uh, yeah, that's where I was going with this. Yeah, I mean, they they seemed all qualified in the industry aspect of it. But in the other part, the part that really drives ownership, leadership, strategic thinking, judgment, business judgment, they, they weren't well groomed. They didn't have good experience. And so they they chose poorly. Um, here, here's another thing. I, I um, working with another client who to to the point we made earlier doesn't want to sell the company externally but doesn't have a successor so we've been strategizing about what kind of person to bring in as a successor and there are two aspects and we can i don't want to go off 
topic just yet, but there are a couple of aspects to identifying what kind of person that ought to be. We come to an agreement on, on what that looks like. And then he decides that what he should do is bring on somebody who would start kind of where he started when he joined the company. The only problem is he joined the company so long ago, it was a fraction of the size it is today. And if he brought that and, and that person need, would need to be up to speed within several years, and it's unrealistic. So we've been trying to help him understand you need a very senior experienced executive to step in. I mean, this firm is doing in excess of $80 million. And so even though the, the owners and executives are very sharp, sometimes we, you know, we have these blind spots and we can't quite see what we're not getting. A couple of times you, you've, you've alluded to this assessment that you do. Can you, can you talk about what, what is that assessment and how does it work? And Oh, sure. I'd love to. Yeah. It's, uh, it, it, I, I've been utilizing 360 assessments over many years. And um, what I've done is developed my own by taking the best of all the ones I've used. And so I'm, I'm very pleased with the results we're getting from this. The concept of a 360 assessment is an assessment that, that looks all around the individual. That's why it's called the 360, like a big circle. So we get feedback from their boss, who ostensibly is the owner, any peers, uh, their direct reports, indirect reports. It could be, it could be customers, you know, if the customers interact with them regularly. And so we get meaningful feedback. Uh, we, we look at 35 different competencies, leadership and ownership competencies. And typically we're getting feedback from as many as 25 people. So we get a really good objective view. And what that does is help us help us identify the key competencies that this person really ought to bolster. In other words, it'll show their strengths and it helps them appreciate what their strengths are. And then on the on the weaker competencies, the client and I would strategize about which one of those would they get the greatest bang for their buck on. And um, and that's t that tends to be what we work on, uh, not not exclusively, but specifically. And then um, it's it's all confidential. It's done over over the internet. It's done online, and so it's very efficient and very confidential, and produces like a thirty to forty page report. I guess the the next question is how once you get that information, I mean, how how coachable even having empirical evidence, how coachable are your clients after after getting that gut check? So very very occasionally. I get someone who's not coachable. Either, either they they try to be clever and, and play me, but I've been doing it a long time. That doesn't work. Or, or they just don't. They're not interested. Typically, that's not the case in, with succession work that I do. They're, they're eager to be as effective as possible and prove their worth. So I don't, I don't bump up against resistance very often. Now, part of the art of what I do is putting the empirical data into context. And in, and in fact, the brunt of the work that I do is helping to shift people's perspectives. That's what I do because I'm dealing with pretty smart people pretty well experienced. And so if I can shift how they view what we're talking about, the light comes on and then we're off and running. What's the, what is the one area? Like if you look at you know all of the assessments that you've done, is there one thing that 
that sticks out that this is this is always or always seems to be the challenge with yep. the success. Yep. In fact, I just wrote an article on that uh, a couple of weeks ago. To me, the the competency that I tend to work with executives on, owners on, most often, is their ability to influence. See, leaders, especially the the an owner or someone at the very top, uh, they always have the hammer. They can always say, this is what we're doing, go and do it. But the results they would get would not be nearly as, as good as if they were able to influence people to do th- that thing, right? And so I, I often am working with clients, and I'm, I'm talking clients at all levels, whether they're running a very small business, or and I've done this with, with executives overseeing $500 million divisions. This issue still comes up. I help them to understand how do you influence people? How do you persuade them? Because if you can get buy-in to your idea, that's where the magic happens. Moving over to the business owner. So do you think in today's landscape that business owners are more interested in lifestyle or legacy in the in your practice? It's, it, I mean, it's an interesting question. And, and generally, I'm working with the successors rather than with the owners. Uh, because I, I, I don't do exit planning, per se. Um, but what I've observed is this, the, that the people that seem to cross my threshold are keen on legacy. They, they want to make sure the business continues, that the families are all employed and taken care of. And they just like that. And I suspect the ones that are m- more interested in a lifestyle, in other words, who want to sell and walk away with a big old check, uh, that often doesn't cross my desk. That makes sense. Yeah, no, it, because, it does. Yeah, but it, but it kind of brings up another topic. Can can I bring up a topic sure, for us? Sure. I, I've been doing lots of research, and uh, just without delving into all the details of it, let me give you an overview. It turns out this is from SBA reports and census information. Turns out that about four and a half percent of boomers own a business. And if you look at the Gen Xers, which are the 20 years below them, about three percent of Gen Xers own a business. And so, you know, it's not surprising that the younger generation hasn't quite come up to, let's say, four and a half percent. But I I think as they get older, there would be an expectation that they would generally come up to about the same Likelihood, likelihood of ownership. And so it, it doesn't, it's not very surprising to see that until you reflect on it. And then it becomes alarming. And here's why. That if the uptake on Gen Xers is going from 3% up to 45 another 1.5%, that means two-thirds of the boomer businesses will not have a buyer. There'll be no one to buy that. And this is a big deal. And I believe it this to be true. This is going to happen. And the people, I, you know, I, I talk to folks all around the country, M&A folks, um, exit planners and all this. Multiples are, you know, the, the values are dropping. And I've spoken to M&A guys who say the only way M&A firms are going to survive this is to become relational rather than transactional. And so I'm not the only one who, who believes this is going to happen. I've done a little bit of research too. I mean, you're talking 12 million businesses of which you're saying a third of them will be unsaleable if they aren't. No, no, two thirds, 
Oh, two thirds are, are going to be two thirds are going to be because listen, be, it all three percent of Gen Xers already do own a business. The thirty to fifty year olds, thirty to fifty, three percent already own a business, and so even if they rise to four and a half, it's only a one and a half percent uptake. I got it. Yeah, that is a staggering statistic. It's a staggering. So here's so here's the the upshot of that. If you, if an owner really 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 wants to sell externally, it's critical that they number one get all the pieces in place to maximize the value of their business. For example, in the work that we do, the leadership development work, our research shows that uh, the strength of a leadership team will impact the value fifteen to twenty percent. It's a big deal. And when you say le- I'm sorry, when you say uh, leadership team, define what that means. Well, the, the key, the key leaders who will be remaining running the business after the owner departs. Yeah, whatever that looks like. The other thing, and I think the even more critical thing is this. If a, if a company does not have a strong leadership team, and by that I mean not only are they competent, but the owner has put the, the pieces in place where it can pretty well function without the owner being there. If if that's not in place, it's not a terribly attractive business. And I think only the most attractive businesses are going to find a buyer over the next 10 years. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think I think the the businesses that that are most attractive is is where the business owner is uh, insulated from the the day to day. And it was it's more of an investment rather than, than a lifestyle. But I mean, how do those businesses that that don't have that infrastructure how do they sell or do they they're not going to i i, I really believe uh, many most every business owner feels that you know, when it's time to retire they'll go to a business broker they'll go to an m a firm investment banker somebody private equity and they'll get it sold i'm saying because of the statistics it it will not happen that way and then then what are their options their options are either to close the doors and sell off the assets if they just cannot find a buyer, or they arbitrarily appoint somebody a successor, cross their fingers and say, oh, please don't run this into the ground and pay me some of the money that the business is worth. And so actually along those lines, um, put together a, um, a program for successor recruiting, because I believe it's going to be in, in high demand. And so we, we uh, have a program for owners, to, we help them find and recruit uh, the appropriate successor. Tell me a little bit more about about that program. Oh uh, yeah, so so you know it kind of comes back to one, one thing I mentioned or we talked about earlier that the ideal profile of a of a successor, because frankly, it's not all about competencies. Competencies actually you can develop and train pretty easily. But by competencies, I mean, you know, if, if they say, well, I want someone who's been in the industry at least 10 years, you know, they have these qualifications and so on and so forth. That's all well and good, but it actually doesn't make them a good successor. And so it turns out that uh, the qualities of a successor are, or, or the traits or the aspects of a successor are both competencies and personality traits, that I mean, do they need to have high energy? Do they need to be especially an optimist? Do they need to be driven? 
And does that differ between business to business or is that just kind of universal? Some of it's universal, but some of it does matter. So, uh, I mean, here's another example. I had a client with a long-term employee and he goes, yeah, I, I just want to clarify what this ideal profile would look like because I'm pretty sure I'm going to hand my business over to this long-term employee. And so we we talk about it. And, and then as I poke, something comes to the surface. And it turns out that this guy drives all the sales. He's, he generates the revenue. And the person he wanted to turn it over to was essentially the office manager. I said, you need somebody who's going to drive sales. And his thought was, I will train her. And I said, doesn't work that way. You need a certain personality type to do this. And so he wasn't happy, but it's true. And so, the, you know, there are those two aspects, personality traits and um, experience and all the aspects of experience. So back to our program, and not only do we help clarify that, uh, we've got an interesting, uh, we'll call it a business style assessment that uh, we give to the owner. So we get a nice objective view of how does he go about making decisions, how driven is he, so, or he or she, I'm using just generic term. Um, and, and so we get a nice profile of who the owner is. And then we have a discussion about is that what the business still needs? So that when we do find appropriate candidates, we can give them that same assessment and say, here it is objectively. They're a perfect match for what you need in their in their nature. And then uh, I have on my team uh, a, a really well-experienced executive recruiter who has had great success recruiting successors. And so uh, when we have a national footprint, we can find some great people. And um, to, to put it in perspective, the people that she brings on, after three years, 97% or 90 some odd percent are still with them, with the company. So she's, she does an, an excellent, she and her team do an excellent job. So this, this uh, and, and the name of the site is successor-recruiting.com. So a lot of the business owners that, that we work with or that are evaluating um, an exit, some are saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to give it to, to my employer. I'm going to sell it to my employee or my, my daughter. And typically there's more than I, more than I'd like to mention the number of times that business owner assesses value and says, you're, you're paying this since I'm serving as the bank. That's, that's how it's going to work. Or they'll, they'll have talked to their financial planner and they say, you know what you need, you know, $500,000 a year in order to keep your lifestyle. And, and then that successor gets stuck with it. And, you know, they start, they pay on it for, for a couple of years and all of a sudden they're cash strapped. And then they're like, what in the world did I just do? So yeah. are, do you, are you, do you see that? Or, or is that part of the assessment that you do that helps, you know, you need to understand who's, who's going to succeed you and what you can and can't do in order to preserve the longevity of the company. So you bring up an excellent point, but it's one that we don't generally get involved in. You know, it's, it's up to the two individuals, the two parties to strike the deal on, on the value and how it's going to get paid. And ostensibly, if the owner is smart, he's working with uh, a, a well-experienced 
executive or sorry an exit planner transition specialist whatever it might be to your point about value i have another great story and that that cuts both ways that value sword there was um I, i i heard this from a professional who was brought in on the due diligence part of the deal i'm trying to keep this as vague as possible but there was a a a company and they the owner wanted to retire and he decided that his company was worth nine million dollars and that's what he was going to take he wasn't going to take anything less and he was selling it outside so it's even more more of an interesting story he put it out to market, got an interested buyer. They gave him an LOI, and they flew in to finalize negotiations. He stuck to his guns. They they agreed on $9 million. And then they brought this professional that I was talking with. They brought him in to help with them with due diligence. And during that process, they confided in him that they had been authorized to go up to $21 million. Yeah. And so I think it's incumbent on the owner, to your point, it's incumbent on the owner to get a professional valuation done. If you overvalue it and then, like you've said, saddle your successor with that inflated note, it will crush the company. And uh, I I, kind of wrote an article. I mean, I wrote an article kind of about the concept. I called it the time value of business valuation because the, frankly you can value it at whatever you want but if not all the payments get made <laughs> that's what that's what the value ended up being and so you shoot yourself in the foot if you inflate the value saddle the company and cause them not to be able to pay it yeah that's uh that that's one of the things that i guess what what brought brought that up is that i had a a, a family situation I'd done uh, some value work for for the the parents, and about four years later, the kid comes and said, "Didn't you do some work for my dad?" And I need I, I'm I think I'm going to sell the company. And she goes, "I just can't afford it any longer." And I mean, he sold it to her for three times the the amount I told him. And oh my! And he and anyway, she came in put the keys on the the table said i'm i'm done she opened up her own shop just down the road and called it a day and and uh just that family will will never be will never be the same and and again they i mean he thought he was he was doing right that you know you need to work as hard as i did and and you know she had enough sense to to start engaging with outside parties to to figure out and and subsequently unravel, you know, the situation she was in. Yeah, bad. that is bad. Well, I, I, I know I want to be sensitive to your time. So I, I've got a couple, couple last questions for you. So if you had one piece of advice that you'd give our listeners that would have the most immediate impact on their business, what would it be? Well, it, it would be related to leadership. So, if you're planning on selling externally, you really owe it to yourself to maximize the value and the attractiveness by developing as fully as possible your leaders. And the way you do that is through an assessment. And and even if they turn out to be strong, now you have objective proof to the buyer 
that you've got a strong leadership team in place. If, uh, sorry, on the on an internal sale, the, the same kind of thing. Don't don't just turn it over because they know how to make widgets, right? <laughs> right. Well, in the pre-show, we started talking a little bit about the the tsunami of of business sales. Um, I mean, where do you where do you see us in that in that cycle? Yeah. So everyone keeps talking about the the large number of uh, boomer owned businesses that are going to come on the market, and yet uh, pretty pretty consistently, uh, although there's been an uptick, there's no tsunami. And here's my view of why it hasn't happened, and at the same time saying it is about to happen. So. Thinking back in the early 70s, life expectancy was about 72, and most people expected to retire at 65. Well, now life expectancy is in the mid 80s, and people are not retiring until their early to mid 70s. The leading edge of the baby boomers turned 73 this year. And so I believe this is the year we'll begin seeing an uptick and will continue for the next 10 years. Yeah, it's funny you, you mentioned that. I wrote an article myself about, about that, that, you know, where is this tsunami? And because there was a number of articles when, when baby boomers started at uh, 65 that, you know, we should all brace, brace for impact, and it just never showed. Exactly. And, uh, you know, I've got, a, I've got a partner that's 72, and as long as he's relevant and competent, and enjoys liking what he does. He's like, why, why should I sell? What? Why would I even think about getting out? I agree. Yeah, and more power to him. I, I hope. Like I said, I hope. Uh, in in his case, he's uh, he's hanging on for a long, long time because he's a lot of fun to be around. Your website, uh, elicitingexcellence.com, is is just it is loaded with resources. So where should a where should someone begin? Thank you. Thanks for asking. Yeah, it's, uh, I would say, a good place to begin in reflecting. Um, if they, for instance, went to any one of the successor program-related pages, like the page about typical succession engagements, on the sidebar, you'll see a number of downloadable brochures about engagements and um, successor readiness so they can begin re an owner can begin reflecting on how how spot on uh, is that successor i have literature on that assessment we've been talking about so they can see kind of what that's about and even what our successor development program looks like and so that, that's the simplest that's the simplest way for people and it, there's a lot to poke around articles uh, a link to our successor recruiting site and uh, some information about my background as well. So who would be an ideal client of yours, and what are the various price points for the services that you're providing them? Great question, actually. So typically, uh, I, I do work with the lower middle market. So uh, sort of the $10 million to a couple hundred million dollar range. But to your other point, there are many, many businesses smaller than 10 million and do have a reduced price point program. And, and so it, I feel that the, the investment needs to be relative to what's at risk. So once you get up into the multiple millions, there's a lot at risk and not investing is foolish. In the smaller companies, to that individual, there's still a lot at risk, but the numbers are different. And so I, I have a reduced program that is effective. 
but much less expensive. Got it. Okay. So what's the best way we can connect with you after this? Thanks. So uh, certainly through the website, it's got our phone number, uh, contact form, and, uh, you know, we'd love to hear from folks. Um, the kind of the nature of work we do does not lend itself well to high pressure. So we, we never have hard sells. It just doesn't work. So if someone's curious, just wants to chat, uh, I would encourage them to do that. Well, I would attest that you're uh, an easy guy to visit with. That's for certain. Thank you. Michael, I want to thank you again for being here. Uh, I'll have links to everything that we discussed in the show notes, and I'm certain our listeners will have benefited from our time together. Thanks again so much. Hey, thanks so much, Ed. Thank you for joining us today on the Defenders of Business Value podcast. If you're preparing your business for sale now or in the future, visit www.valuebuilders.us to begin your journey to maximum maximum saleable value. And if you want more episodes jam-packed with strategies to maximize value of your business, visit defendersofbusinessvalue.com. Better yet, subscribe now so you don't ever miss an episode. This program is copyrighted MySo Incorporated. All rights reserved.